Welcome to the Eloquent in the Room podcast, episode 14. I've moved. Hey there, I'm Rose Cooper. (laughs) Somewhat less anxious than I was last time. Still uh, feel like I've been hit by a semi-trailer because of the packing and the cleaning and the the organising, the adulting that you have to do when you take on a move. And it's not just me, it's me and my youngest son, who um, I actually interviewed earlier on. Um, yeah, so... It's, it's just been crazy and doing it at this time of year, even crazier. So as I've said before, I'm sticking a pin in the series Adulting Consent and I am going to get back into that later in January. But for now, I'm giving myself the luxury of drawing on old things that I have laying around, just laying around in my head and uh, on my hard drive. Um, when I wrote my tribute to Greg Hunter... I also wrote a tribute to a friend of mine who is still with us. This is a a lovely, um, happy story. Um, (laughs) So I've been friends with this person since just after Women's Forum folded. It's kind of like when that happened. One door slammed in my face and then I met this person and a window with a fabulous view opened and and it wasn't the end of the world. I found this person very inspiring. I won't spoil it too much. I've actually pre-recorded the storytelling part this time. So I'll, I'll switch to that recorded bit in a minute, but I just wanted to sort of fill you in on what started it all. So Australian Women's Forum folded in 2001 and I um, had been commissioned and and paid already to write an article about the state of sex education in Australian primary schools at that time. Now, when the death knell happened for the magazine, that article never got to see the light of day. It never got printed. So I tried to send it to various other magazines and newspapers and nobody really wanted to have anything to do with it because I not only talked about what state sex ed was in, I made suggestions about how I'd do it if I was in charge. (laughs) Um, And I suppose my viewpoint was considered... A little bit too out there, a bit progressive. Um, One might even say a sex-positive approach, um, a pleasure-based approach. Pretty much words that have been normalised now and ideas and things that have been normalised now. But when I was thinking about where it was going wrong, um, I know there's a lot of other people out there (laughs) 
who have been of the same mind as me for as long as me and longer than me. Um, but I was, I felt like I was pissing in the wind. No one wanted to know about it. Um, so I decided to do a survey. I've mentioned this before in 2020, an orgasmic oddity. I did a survey specifically for this podcast over the last year and a half. Um, but back in 2001, I did a survey thinking I was going to write a book um, about sex ed. Uh, now look, things got in the way. Life got in the way. Um, and as I said last time when I was talking about getting into journalism, I do suffer from uh, a lack of confidence. <laughs> um, not good at finishing projects. I'm good at starting them. And I rate myself as a writer and I rate myself as a performer and all of these sort of things. But I do have a lack of confidence. So, um it's my privilege to share my story um, in all humility and also share that I didn't create myself. I am me, but um, I've had some very profound experiences and surprising experiences with people who have come in and out of my life and influenced me and helped push me along. It doesn't take much <laughs> to, to give me incentive, but um, because I hero-worship people, and um, when I hero-worship people, I, I do tend to emulate or I am inspired by them. So this is a another ode to someone who has inspired me. So I wanted to give a little bit of a background before turning over to the story, which this time I pre-recorded. Last time I didn't pre-record it, I just dived in and recorded it all in one go. Um, and here's me just free talking and um, without a script in front of me. Oh my God, but now you're going to listen to me talking with a script. Um, I do deviate from it a little bit just to add a few updated bits of information and um, fill in the blanks a little bit. Because when I wrote this particular article, I've got to say, uh, it probably didn't flow as good as it could have. It was a really long story. <laughs> um, so I've done a little bit of adaptation along the way as I've read it. And I will talk to you at the end and we will do some postscript tying up of loose ends because the story did continue and there's lots of little juicy tidbits to add to it but for now here is the story that I wrote which was called On Vaginas, Friendship, the Universe and Everything. A longish time ago in a galaxy not that far, far away, two intrepid women residing on opposite sides of the same planet happened to bump into each other thanks to the World Wide Web due to their mutual interest in a particular topic. A fascinating subject, the fuel of myth and legend, of mystery and falsehood, of desire and longing, of fear and loathing, 
and its name, of course, was Vagina. On January 18, 2002, I sent an email. Hello, my name is Rose Cooper and I'm a freelance journalist slash mother of three from Australia. I'm hoping to write a book aimed at teenage girls. The objective to provide them with a better education about the realities and potential of their bodies in a more direct way than the -the run-of-the-mill puberty slash sex education book. My aim to educate and empower young women so that they may make more informed choices based on an absolute knowledge of their own sexuality and love and where the two diverge or not. It's my intention to discuss and promote masturbation and self-exploration. I was also wanting to include photos of, in inverted commas, average vaginas and breasts as an antidote to airbrushed and unrealistic images in the media to give young girls a more realistic appreciation of their own amazing beautiful bodies. While doing research I googled the word vagina and came across your website vaginaverite.com. I was hoping you could furnish me with more information about your extremely interesting and worthwhile book. Is it still a work in progress? Where slash when will it be available? Would you be interested in being a source of reference? Warm regards, Rose Cooper. By the way, on this occasion, I departed from tradition and did not try to affect any accent or impersonation for this bit. January 19, 2002. Hello, Rose. Your project sounds really good. I would be happy to help in any way. Vagina Verite, the book, is still in the works. No doubt for the same reasons there's a need for a book like yours. It's taking some time to line up models. Women who are interested in and supportive of the project are still reluctant to participate. While some of it may be personal modesty, I see the general reluctance referring to a lack of appreciation for and intimacy with our bodies. My intention is to give a face to what vaginas look like since most women I talk with don't know what their own looks like, much less others. It doesn't look like there's going to be an average looking one. While basically they're all the same, when photographed up close as portraits, all the individual differences become more prominent than the similarities, like personalities. More or less all the same moving parts, of course, but how they're all put together makes each one completely unique and beautiful. I don't know how much of what I have up on the site you have read, but I'm in New York, 36. I'm not trained as a sociologist or sex therapist, and I am not looking for definitive patterns or answers or to prove some hypothesis. I'm looking to open up a conversation that is generally whispered or avoided. I find it relevant that in the US we have no mythology of the vagina, of sexuality, no conversation that is passed down from mother to daughter. One book I found called The Perfume Garden, a book of Arabic sexual stories, names and describes a list of vagina and penis personalities. I don't know how relevant these stories are to Arabic culture today. What I really liked about the list is that every vagina personality had its place not better or worse. 
It reminded me of Greek mythology where the gods aren't perfect specimens, but like humans had varying special powers and limits and faults. The faults telling their stories, not condemning them. I'll keep you posted on progress. I really can't say when the book will be ready. I'm letting it evolve somewhat naturally, not hiring models, but talking with women, sending out questionnaires to spark conversation. The point is to show the everyday vagina so anyone could relate to the photographs. And for now, the everyday vagina is, for the most part, ducking the camera. Regards, Alexandra Jacoby. In the weeks following that initial correspondence, Alexandra and I exchanged a flood of emails, several postcards and a few parcels. Yes, I sent her some Vegemite. Unabashed crusaders both who relish every opportunity to roll around in words and ideas, ours has been a friend, marriage made in heaven. As hokey as it sounds, I believe the universe not only conspired to throw us together across the interwebs, it has also led us along interweaving paths these last 10 years, bearing in mind I wrote this in 2011. And fuck me if it also didn't pull some cosmic strings in order to make it possible for us to meet in person. Though I never would have dreamt it possible at the time. More on that later. Meanwhile, with no venue to unleash my fierce soapbox rants and less serious saucy musings... I was too rough around the edges for Cleo and Cosmo. Alex, during our first correspondences, generously offered me my own space on vaginaverite.com. We called it, are you ready? Down Under with Rose. (laughs) It became the home of a bunch of my old women's forums articles, including the sex ed piece and a few newer bits. Such amazing luck, but somehow appropriate to find myself a cosy space within the Vagina Verite walls. Yeah, see what I did there? The word Verite has always attracted me. It's surely one of the sexiest Latin words ever, denoting truth, candor, and realism. I was as yet to feel quite as enamored of the word vagina then, but that fateful day was coming. I had intermittent work with less raunchy publications over the years as I gravitated towards working in the performing and visual arts. But with Down Under with Rose there, and with reader feedback at a constant trickle, mainly from the US over the years, this meant I could never let go of that part of me completely, no matter how disenchanted I was getting. I always kept my toe in the door of the sex education life. And Alexandra kept me inspired, not only with her bold project, but with her rich artistic side, her feminist activist leanings, and her general enthusiasm. Her motto is, everything is interesting, and indeed when viewed through her eyes, everything is. So our correspondence continued as weeks turned into months and years, her letters consistently drawing vivid word pictures of her professional, artistic and personal life. 
The manner in which she was so present in every moment was so nourishing to me to absorb. I adored her brain. I was so starved for stimuli back then, working from home, living in a new town with two school-age boys and a toddler. During those isolated years, she made me feel so much more productive creatively just by reading and replying to her letters. You could say as a journalist who was becoming more and more disenfranchised from the so-called mainstream, she metaphorically validated my parking. Alex would be humbled and embarrassed by this praise, but as it's my style to gush with gratitude and love, she'll just have to suck it up. She was well-travelled compared to me around the world, around her beloved Manhattan, and around her own thought processes, and to my eternal gratitude, she's taken me everywhere with her over the years, literally. Well, literarily. At that point, I had never travelled outside Australia, having settled down young and always just getting by financially most of my life. I could but envy her adventures. I'd long harboured a dream to visit New York City, the evocative setting for countless films, TV shows and songs, and the spiritual home of John Lennon. Its magnetic pull was ever-present, but I could never imagine having the wherewithal to get there. But when 9-11 happened, I can't explain why, but from that moment I stopped doubting and started planning. From that day forth, the notion of getting my ass to New York City became an inexorable imperative. Destiny was calling, and she was breathing heavy. In November 2002, aged 41, I applied for my passport for the first time. I was sending another message to the universe. Guess what? About 18 months later, I got a reply. This minor miracle came in the shape of popular television show Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? The Australian version. Back in those days, it aired on Sunday nights. It went for an hour on Channel 9. In the meantime, during the week, Channel 7 had a huge hit with a show called Deal or No Deal that ran in a half an hour time slot about dinner time, Monday to Friday. And in a bid to woo viewers away from that show, Channel 9 decided to put Who Wants to Be a Millionaire on every afternoon as well, which required them to drum up more contestants. So... Suddenly, every ad break on Channel 9, there would be uh, an ad saying, if you want to be a contestant on Who Wants to Be a Millionaire weekday version, text your phone number to dot, dot, dot. This is how miraculous it was. I didn't even watch the show. I did watch it when it first started, but I kind of got annoyed with it because it seemed like too many people were bombing out in the very early rounds, like the the sub $1,000 questions were always ridiculously easy and people would bomb out. It just seemed like a monumental waste of time, remembering, of course, that I did drop out of high school in year 10. Um, but I've, 
I guess they had to give an every person feel to the prospect of winning. They want to attract a whole bunch of different kinds of people, not just have the super brains that you see on quiz shows because that can get boring too. I guess I've just got a high threshold with some quiz shows. Um, I just happened to be watching this particular night and I thought, what the hell? I'll send a text. And that's all I did. I sent a single text. I received a phone call the next day. And over the phone, they asked me seven questions by way of an audition. Um, I guess I got them right because the next thing they said was, okay, um, we'll get back to you about when you'll be appearing. And I got a call again an hour or so later to say they were booking me on a flight to Melbourne that Friday. Yeah, right. Um, for those who don't know how game shows work, a full week's episodes are usually taped on one day, a couple of weeks before they go to air. Um, and on in this case, it was every Friday. So I arrived and they let you know which episode you're going to be on and I was going to be on the Friday, which meant that I had to sit in the green room all day as I watched Monday through Thursday's contestants um, go before me, which was interesting um, because, you know, if you're nervous at all, it just builds by degrees as the day goes on. So when at last the Friday people were finally ushered in, um, there was a carryover champ from the night before and he had to finish off his round before a new batch of 10 contestants was introduced. So if you haven't seen the show, you've got um, I think it's 10 contestants in a semicircle and then they uh, introduce you and the camera's on you and you have to wave to the camera like a goose. Um, and then you get the opportunity to do a thing called fastest finger first and you've got a little um, keypad directly in front of you um, and you are asked a question and then you have to place your answers in the correct corresponding order A, B, C and D. Once you've got them in the order that you want, changing it as many times as you like, you then hit lock it in. And um, you're given at least, I don't know, 20 seconds or so to, to do that. Um, and it's a race to see who gets the answer first, hence fastest finger first. I'm over-explaining this to the shit house, aren't I? Um, anyway, someone else won the first one. So the lights dimmed on the contestants while we watched for the next 15 minutes or so as this guy meandered through the preliminary questions it seemed like an eternity and it also seemed probable that the half an hour would run out before myself and my Friday cohort would have another chance at fastest finger first. Then suddenly the guy bombed out and there was time. So, God, it was now or never. I will never forget the feeling I had when Eddie recited the next question. In descending order from eldest to youngest, name each member of the Beatles. The Beatles. Rose, he just said, the Beatles. The, the Beatles. Beatles. My heart just about exploded from my chest. I knew this. So it seemed did everyone else. Fingers were flailing about in my peripheral vision in a blur of frenetic activity. I couldn't believe how quick they were. 
too quick. But I kept my cool. I knew I knew the answer. Weirdly, I hit the wrong name first, but because you can change your mind a hundred times, it doesn't matter. But once you lock your answers in, that is that. So I took my time, corrected my mistake, completed the answer, hit the lock in button, confident that I was a hundred percent correct, but prepared for the fact that my careful meticulousness would probably work against me. Then came the moment of truth. Eddie repeated the question and motioned to the board on the wall as he said, and these people got it right. One name lit up on the bottom of the board. It was the second slowest response at seven plus seconds. And that name was mine. No sooner had I planted my shaking butt on the hot seat and the siren sounded. I had to go home to Sydney and come back the following week, which should have been the following Friday, but for some reason it ended up being the following Monday after the following Friday, like 10 days later. So theoretically, I had a chance to study, but I didn't really do much but stare at a map because geography was not my strong suit. Besides, being a scholar was not what landed me in the hot seat. Being a Beatles tragic was. So when I returned, thankfully, I did cruise through the early round of questions, but then I got thrown a curveball and ended up using all my lifelines on the $4,000 question. Hi there. This is Rose, the same person who said a minute ago that it would probably be easy to get to 32k, but at 4k I reckon I was given a real fucking curveball, seriously, and I was presented with four really plausible answers and I just had no clue, so yeah, all of my options were taken up. The next two questions were easy, but you know the saying... The answers to questions are only easy if you know the fucking answer. So I was up to $16,000. Then at $32,000, I was asked a question about fucking geography. So rather than take a gamble, I happily retired on (laughs) $16,000. I threw a chunk of change at the mortgage and put aside some of it and started planning my very first overseas trip. (laughs) No prizes for guessing where I went. You've heard the saying, you wouldn't read about it. Well, I just did to you. So you did too, by default. No, you shut up. Having never been overseas in my life, and with my youngest child still very small, I only could drag myself away for a you know, just under three weeks, bearing in mind that it takes 24 hours to get anywhere when you're from Australia. Um, At the time, a return ticket to New York City cost the same as an around-the-world ticket. Being that this was probably the only chance I thought I'd ever get to go overseas, I chose the latter option. I spent eight whole days in New York City um, and then two in London, three in Paris and three in Rome. It was the Whitman sampler of the world. Um, I talked to a dear friend of mine who's 10 years older than me and who had also never been overseas in her life into coming with me. She was actually saving for a car at the time and she went, fuck that, I'm coming with you, uh, to her credit. 
we had a wonderful time. So the cab ride from JFK was surreal. It was early evening and when the skyline appears in view, it's pretty dramatic. And the constant noise, you get out of the taxi and there's all you hear is horns and sirens and, and cars and, and, you know, pedestrian traffic and everything. And you realise after a while that the horns are mostly taxis just beeping their horn at everybody, even pedestrians. <laughs> so that became comical pretty quickly. When we got to our hotel in Midtown, I found a note from Alex welcoming us to the city and a timeout guide. She invited us over for breakfast the next day, which is just a few blocks away. She lives just near the UN. She's about a third of the way through her Vagina Verite book then. In the intervening years between meeting her online and meeting her in person, which worked out to be about three years altogether, she'd been holding exhibitions of her vagina portraits in small spaces around town, inviting conversation. And when they weren't being shown off, they lived on her living room wall. I must confess, I found it a bit unsettling, yet fascinating. I'd previously said to Alex that I'd be happy to pose, and I was keen. But neither of us seemed inclined to dilute our time together with her focusing a long lens at my twat. (laughs) And I figured there'd have to be at least one that looked like mine in there anyway. We kept in touch after that trip, but inevitably the gaps between our catch-ups got bigger and bigger as time went on and our lives continued to do that lifey thing that lives do. And as different as our lives were, (laughs) we still kind of trod parallel paths. Like in 2007, we didn't tell each other Um, But we both became involved with that year's V-Day campaign. What's V-Day? I'm glad you asked. Um, Now, you may or may not have heard of Eve Ensler's groundbreaking play, The Vagina Monologues. Now, I'd heard about it when it first came out um, towards the end of the 90s. And not long after that, I became an actor and I would hear about productions coming to Australia and various places and I think this sounds amazing something I really want to get involved in not knowing anything at all about it just thought the title sounded like something that might be up my street Um, but it wasn't until 2007 that I became aware of V-Day so in 1998 fundraising productions of the play Vagina Monologues Um, started happening around the world, um, usually around Valentine's Day. And they're done by community groups and colleges specifically to raise money and to raise awareness of the plight of female victims of rape and other violence worldwide. Now, the Vagina Monologues is a series of monologues um, that talk about um, the funny side of being a vagina owner and the tragic as well as, yeah, it, it covers the absolute gamut of female experience, highs, lows and 
um, not just your average woman's experience, but um, people who have experienced um, violence as a result of war, as a result of working in the field, in um, farms, um, agricultural farms, and um, trans victims of violence, workplace violence, domestic violence, all kinds of violence. Violence uh, as a consequence of natural disasters, like Hurricane Katrina, for example. So we the actual production does the play, but also talks to specific problems that are happening and puts the spotlight on a different specific uh, fundraising event for that year. For instance, um, one year uh, they raised money which enabled the launch and support for the City of Joy in Congo, which is a transformational leadership community for women survivors of violence in the Democratic Republic of Congo, and it's owned and run by Congolese. Uh, A few years ago, One Billion Rising became their latest sort of campaign, which is the biggest annual mass action to end violence against women in history. Um, I urge anybody to get involved in it. Go to the website, vday.org. Contact me. I would be only too pleased to mentor anyone who wants to get involved in it. I'll tell you everything you need to know about it. Um, I was lucky enough to be involved in it when it was brought to my attention by a friend uh, who was an actor and director in 2007 and we did a wonderful production. We had 16 um, women who, some were actors, some had never acted in their life and that's part of the uh, ethos of these local productions is just get anybody who wants to be involved, let them be involved. It's a wonderful, wonderful sisterhood bonding kind of thing. Um, it's It gets in to your blood, it gets under your skin once you're involved. Um, we did another production in 2008. Now, those two combined, I'm very, very proud to say, we raised $40,000 for our very small town, really, um, and that money went to local women's shelters and 10% goes to whatever the spotlight campaign is for that year. Meanwhile, in New York City, Alex organised a vagina festival <laughs> Um, which had multidisciplinary artists and artisans involved um, and the Vagina Monologues being the centrepiece of the event. But it was a whole weekend with lots of different things happening and her own spin on a lot of it as well as the usual V-Day happenings and fundraisings and stuff. Um, I like that idea so much that um, I stole it and we had our own festival in 2008. This was in Gosford and Wyong region in New South Wales. And um, this enabled us to get local musicians involved and spread it over an entire weekend because at that stage in 2007, 2008, you could only do two performances of the play which we we overachievers just didn't feel like that was enough. So we would we got involved and had all sorts of other different arty fundraising things. So there's no end to the kinds of things you can do. Having said that, um, it has 
increased to three performances you're allowed to do now, which is great. So yeah, I was never that enamoured of the word vagina before I got involved with the vagina monologues. Um, But once you've gone there, uh, the word vagina becomes part of your daily life. Everyone associates you with the vagina monologues. Um, And you get inundated with memes and emails and uh, YouTube recommendations. And um, it's amazing how uh, excited people get to know that you're involved with vagina monologues, not knowing anything about it, jumping to all sorts of wrong conclusions about the play and what it could possibly be about. They always come away and look at you with absolute awe and gratitude and literally do come up and thank you for putting the play on Um, because it is profoundly moving. Absolutely. It's it's just everything. Um, So, yeah, vagina, 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 vagina. It's a crazy word and had I not Googled it, in 2002, I would never have met Alexandra Jacoby. Possibly might not have manifested a trip to New York City at that particular time. So many life-altering things happened um, around our friendship. And over the years, we have come together to catch up and then drift apart again and then come together and, you know, life got in the way. But, you know, there is a postscript to this, but for now this is the end of this particular part of the story. So how do you like them apples? (laughs) Honestly... You can't make this shit up. I know hindsight is twenty twenty and all and that we are pattern-seeking mammals and we will look back at retrospect um, having gotten through a bunch of lifey stuff and thought I'm better off for that stuff and you can sort of rationalise it and say if, if A didn't happen and led me to B then C didn't happen and I wouldn't be where I am today. But that particular sequence of events, the dots that connected to get me to look for um, information, just general sex ed information, uh, to find Alex through her website, Vagina Verite, um, and, you know, hot on the heels of um, 9-11 happening and me wanting to go to New York and meeting her and going, I'll actually know someone if I go there. Like it made it feel a little bit more tangible, a little bit safer to do the 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 big thing, you know. Um, confidence. Remember that thing I was telling you about? Um, I wasn't particularly independent in my, particularly in my first marriage and uh, in my second marriage when I said, I've won this money and I want to go travelling. My second husband had actually done a lot of travelling before we met. And I was at home with the kids and I'm like, the older kids were old enough to help out and and I said, look, (laughs) I have to do this for me. And um, to his credit, he was all for me doing it. So I travelled for the first time in my life and did a little round-the-world trip. Now, I have travelled since then, 
Um, but let's tie up some loose ends first. First, Vagina Verite, the the book. Alex has had this project as an ongoing project and I take my hat off to her at her patience. She she had a vision but she uh, followed the old proverb, follow the horse in the direction that it's going. She never sort of raced to the finish line and never had an idea of exactly how many portraits she would need. She just wanted a representative sample. She wanted people of different um, race. She wanted people who actually had hair. Um, she wanted people all different ages and people who, um, regardless of whether they had children or didn't have children, she wanted this the images to tell the story and she didn't add any context to any of the images. This is what blew my mind. So many images that we put out of just women, just naked women, we always have to overlay and project some sort of story onto the image, whether that person is pregnant or whether they're um, young or old or um, happy, sad, nubile, making love, having sex, horny, whatever. We always have to paint a picture. But her photographs were just the unadorned, unabashed, unretouched, absolute truth of what is between our legs. Now, she used the resources that she had at her disposal at the time and got the book uh, printable and people could actually buy it online and have it printed. Um, And then... Having done that, and I have a copy of that, um, and having done that, she took took a bit of time out and she had lifey things. Life, life, life. <laughs> and um, we didn't really connect anywhere near as often as we used to. Um, I knew she was into all sorts of various activism things, but um, we lost touch for, you know, months um, at a time. As for me... Um, my life was being very lively and uh, one marriage ended and uh, as in my second marriage ended and that uh, happened in 2013 and the decade beginning with Greg's death was kind of set off a chain reaction for me. There was quite a few huge events that happened over that next decade which um, derailed me, derailed me, my mental health, my creativity, my personal life, um, all sorts of stuff. So, so while life was being lifey, um, I, I started to write the ship and, and take hold of my confidence and my sense of purpose. Um, and in 2017, I decided that I would take the helm and organise my own fundraising V-Day event. And um, I did it in Gosford, um, a whole new circle of people that I was involved with at that time, uh, lots of hippies and <laughs> and stuff. Um, so I had hippies and actors and, and all sort of stuff involved and it was fantastic, it was wonderful and it reminded me how passionate I am about empowerment, about raising awareness of um, 
systematic violence um, towards women, towards everybody. You know, violence is a, a problem. There's no two ways about that. But obviously everyone's got their crusade. Um, everyone's got their sense of uh, direction and purpose behind what they do. And for me, it's uh, all roads lead to and from vagina. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I end up getting doing the vagina monologues again. Another thing I've done to preserve my mental health in the, after in the aftermath of grief and loss and marriage ending was... Um, after the settlement, I had a little bit of money to save for a rainy day and fuck me, I travelled. <laughs> um, my first trip was to, um, God, I drove to Melbourne in a car to go to a uh, David Bowie exhibition that was only happening in Melbourne. The thing with me is I'm a geeky traveller. Um, and when I went to New York City in 2005... I had to go to not just Strawberry Fields in Central Park, but I had to go to the Dakota where John Lennon lived and died and where Yoko still lives. So as a geeky traveller, I had to drive myself to Melbourne and see the Bowie exhibition when Bowie passed away in 2016, I want to say. Um, I had to get myself to the UK. I had to go to the Bowie Memorial. I had to go to his childhood home and, and uh, primary school and stuff. So I fucking did that and um, I did a heritage trip, reclaimed my Irish convict roots. There's lots of stories about the whole travel thing. So um, I don't want to go into too, de too much detail but... The geeky thing is important because it ties in with this. Um, my heritage trip was in 2017, but last year I went on an even bigger trip and I got my ass to Liverpool, finally. I did the Beatles experience in Liverpool. While I was there, um, the museum had an um, exhibition, a retrospective John and Yoko exhibition while I was there. Um, the movie Yesterday was released. I got to watch it in a cinema in Liverpool. So um, now while I was in Liverpool, I met up with someone that I know because I am a patron. I contribute to Amanda Palmer's Patreon. Now I could spend an entire podcast telling you who Amanda Palmer is and um, what massive influence she has had on me. But for the purposes of this particular podcast, I just want to plop her into this story um, because I met up with uh, a wonderful person that I had developed a rapport with via Amanda's Patreon. She has great ways to commute, uh, not only communicate with her community, but um, gives lots of space for her community to communicate with each other. And I met a friend who's from the US originally, but lives in the UK and has done for the last 10 years or so. And we uh, connected in um, Liverpool and had a wonderful time going to the Cavern Club and, uh, and all that sort of deal and Strawberry Fields and Oh, the whole nine yards. Now, I wanted to plop Amanda into this story because it's the festive season. And I've just told you a story about 
my connection with someone in the US and um, very special friendship with someone in the US, Alex. And when Alex and I reconnected, it was on Instagram and it was almost like she put the bat sign, the bat signal up, or the vagina signal, signal up in the sky. Um, we just, like she, she jumped on Instagram. She hadn't been on. She'd been keeping a really low profile. And suddenly there she was and she created a Vagina Verite account, a personal account, um, uh, a photography account and another account um, called the Experiential Lab. She has uh, online conversations. So we reconnected on Instagram and um, she had decided she was going to go back into the photos that she had on her hard drive and redo them, reprint them with state-of-the-art um, software that she had to bring out more uh, authentic um, flesh tones and she wanted to start exhibiting again and having conversation spaces again and she launched herself into it hundred percent like took a year off paid work to throw herself into this again and I've got my timelines a little bit jumbled up because I have uh, decided to throw another ball into my juggle of uh, concepts here <laughs> uh, vagina friendship the universe everything um, mental health game show um, manifesting um catching up with um, my friend who I know through Amanda Palmer. Anyway, I actually caught up with my friend in Liverpool last year. I reconnected with Alex, however, um, about six months before that. And during that reconnection, uh, we were talking about uh, projects. I wanted to do a podcast. I was thinking about it Um Pretty much this time, two years ago, is when I was thinking about it, but I just wasn't in a good headspace. So part of my uh, grabbing onto a vine to pull me out of the quicksand of mental health uh, despair that I was having at the time, I thought, I'm going to plan this trip. And it didn't start out that way, but <laughs> because Alexandra came into my life at that time, I had to go back to New York City, didn't I? So after I left Liverpool and um, went back to Ireland, um, I went back to New York City 14 years after my first trip there and um, I was there for three weeks almost this time. And I'm very proud to say that this was more than enough time for us to organise for me to pose for Vagina Verite. Yay! My twat is now a conversation piece. Um, along the way, I told her about Amanda Palmer. She had no clue who Amanda Palmer was, and um, that's how she learned about Patreon as well. And she went to an Amanda Palmer concert when Amanda performed in New York. So Amanda is a very big part of my life, but she's um, an integral part of this story. Because we're talking about that trans-Pacific thing and Amanda is currently in the Antipodes. She's in New Zealand. Um, she was finishing her tour up earlier in the year in March when COVID happened and she had one concert left from a year-long world tour and that concert was in New Zealand and she had to actually cancel the very last one. 
She has been there ever since, since March. Interestingly, my 2020 began with a hug from Amanda Palmer. I attended a Q&A that she held at the Sydney Town Hall a couple of weeks prior to her concert um, at the Enmore Theatre. And that was such a profound moment for me. I regard her as my spirit animal. There's so much about what she's about that embodies everything I would be if I had the wherewithal and the talent (laughs) that she's got. So I thought I've begun the year with her. She's in New Zealand with her son. I want to send a message of love out to her as well and um, be cheeky enough to play a song of hers that she wrote when she uh, was living in Australia for a while and um, put out the album Amanda Goes Down Under. I really hope it puts a smile on everyone's face especially Amanda's. And I want to send love out to my friends internationally. Um, And to everyone listening, have a safe and hopefully healthy um, holiday season and into 2021. Um, There's nothing I can say really about 2020. All I can do is try and put a smile on your face. So here's Amanda. And the Vagina Mite song. Oh yeah, don't forget to like and subscribe and share and rate and review Um, and all that sort of stuff. Hope you enjoy it. You tell me that you love me when I'm lying by your side. You tell me that I am the only one Who understands your troubled mind That I am blind to any evil you could do And that I love you more than any other girl could ever do You love the things that I love You love art You love books and you love love as much as I do And you love my dirty looks and you love me Tastes like sadness It tastes like batteries It tastes like asses I cannot hold a man so close Who spreads this cancer on his toast It is the Vegemite, my darling, or it's me You have to make a fucking choice I cannot sit with you at breakfast The very smell of it obliterates my senses And if that weren't bad enough You also eat the shit for lunch Which means we can't spend any time together What kind of relationship is that? The choice is yours My heart is in your hands Please wash your hands You just ate Vegemite for lunch, you selfish bastard 
I'm sorry. I had this really awful experience when I was six years old and our British next door neighbor, Christopher Gill, he was babysitting us and he made me eat an entire spoonful of Marmite, which is just like Vegemite pretty much, except it's even grosser. And, but he told me, he made me eat it by telling me that it was chocolate fudge. And so I swallowed the whole thing and then I had to go to the bathroom and throw up and it really traumatized me. And I'm sorry I got so emotional. I just... I love you. And no matter what you eat, I'll always love you completely. I might just always leave the room at mealtimes or refuse to kiss or touch you for a week. If you insist on putting that foul death paste in your mouth, you're in my heart. Put yourself inside my shoes, I have to know It shouldn't be too hard to choose I know it's tearing you apart But it's the way it has to be It is the Vegemite, my darling It is the Vegemite, my darling Put down the Vegemite, you fucker. Or I'll leave. Thank you.